Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, John Zimmer speaks on how to accompany one another in the role of friendship and evangelization, and how living the art of accompaniment opens the door for the gospel to be more readily received and accepted. Our next speaker was one of the first missionaries to join Focus in 1999. He currently serves as the Vice President of Apostolic Development for Focus, and he speaks and teaches throughout the country on leadership, evangelization, and apologetics. He and his wife Barbara and their seven children live in Colorado. Here today to talk about the art of accompaniment, evangelization, and discipleship in the parish and everyday life, please help me welcome John Zimmer. Really wonderful to be here with all of you at Seek 22. Love to tell you a story as we get started about my daughter, Juliana. She's 20 now, but this story takes place about five years ago. She was a maybe a sophomore or a junior in high school. And uh, we were in her room, my wife and I, and we were talking with her. And somehow the subject of you know what she wants to do when she graduates from college came up with her. And uh, as we're talking, she said, you know, Dad, I've really been thinking about this, and I, I think I want to be a PE teacher. And uh, just a point of context, uh, my daughter's a good athlete, but being a PE teacher was about the last thing I ever thought she would want to do. And so since my daughter's a kidder, I just started laughing. And she was very clearly not in a laughing mood. And she immediately, her face just got sad. And she said, Dad, why are you laughing? And, and I kind of realized, oh, maybe I stepped on something I shouldn't have here. So I said, well, Julianne, I just never thought that you would want to be a PE teacher. I thought you were joking. And immediately tears, and not just like a, you know, a little tear coming down, but buckets of tears start flowing out. And Dad, why don't you think that I can be a PE teacher? This is what I want to do. I thought you'd be happy for me. And I'm just, as a dad, I'm reeling. You know, I'm not sure what to do here. I really didn't think Juliana wanted to be a PE teacher. She likes sports, I guess, in some way, but it just was never in my mind. And so I'm backtracking. No, Juliana, it's really okay. If you want to be a PE teacher, that'd be awesome. I think you could do that if that's what you really want to do. And we're talking and she's crying and, and there's snot. And, and I'm just, you know, thinking I'm a horrible dad. I'm not sure what to do with this. And then at one point again, I mentioned, Juliana, really, if you want to be a PE teacher, I think you can do that. And she stops and she kind of like cocks her head and looks at me and she says, did I say PE teacher? I meant special education teacher. And immediately the tears stopped, she was fine, and we went on with the evening. Well, you can imagine me, I'm just, I'm reeling, and then she realizes that she said the wrong thing and it changes everything. It was a total paradigm shift for her and a paradigm shift for me. Because rather than being a PE teacher, she wanted to be a special education teacher, which is exactly the kind of thing that I thought that Juliana would want to do. Well, I share that story for two reasons. One, I just like to embarrass my daughter, Juliana. And then secondly, because what I want to talk to you today about is evangelization. And I want to give you a paradigm shift with evangelization the same way that, that it went from PE teacher to special education teacher for my daughter Juliana, I wanna change your mindset about what evangelization is. 
Because we all have these ideas about what evangelization is. It might be the street corner preacher or, you know, maybe the door-to-door work of Mormons or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or, you know, uh, the, the annoying neighbor who seems to be always bringing up what he learned at church or even maybe that awesome friend of yours that's so good that they can just invite anybody to Mass and they will come. Regardless of what your mindset of evangelization is, I'm pretty sure that all of us have a desire to be more effective in sharing the gospel, and also that most of us lack confidence in sharing the gospel. And what I hope to do by sharing with you about incarnational evangelization or the art of accompaniment, how do we accompany people and perish in everyday life, will change your mindset about evangelization. So, tell you another story. This one is of my brother, Thomas. Uh, this takes place back in 1997. For those of you who are alive then and uh, able to go to movies, you'll remember the movie Titanic. Titanic was a huge blockbuster. I think it was an over three-hour movie. And my brother, Thomas, he was in uh, early years of college at the time, and he went and saw Titanic. And he came home and he convinced the entire family, his four siblings, his parents, all of us to go with him to Titanic in the movie theater. We are not a movie theater kind of family. I think I can count on two fingers the number of movies I've seen with my family and Titanic was one of them. So this is not something we did all the time. And yet my brother convinced all of us, we have got to go see the Titanic. Now, I should let you know that before Thomas came home and convinced all of us to go to the Titanic, he went to a class on how to invite people to go to movies. And they did some role playing and he, he learned some, you know, some effective tools and some habits that he could use to be more effective in inviting us to go to the Titanic. Obviously, I'm being facetious. He didn't go to any class. He didn't take any training. He simply loved the movie. And because he loved the movie, he was able to come home and convince all of us to go see the Titanic with him. I love telling this story because I like to embarrass my brother Thomas, uh, who is really embarrassed now that he convinced all of us to the Titanic, but mostly because I just really want to hit home. Evangelization flows out of a love. It flows out of our love for Jesus Christ. It flows out of our love for the church. Now, training is important. And, and we should be the best we can possibly be at the tools that we need to be effective at evangelization. There's some common things. How do you share your testimony? How do you lead a small group effectively and facilitate a small group conversation? How do you share the basic kerygma of the gospel, the basic message of the gospel? All these things are really important, and, and there's great training that's out there. We have training up on our Focus Equip website. Uh, for those of who are able to come to our live conferences, we, we do training on how to actually do these things. But the training itself is secondary, if not third or fourth on the list. Number one is, do you love Jesus Christ? And are you willing to share your love with those that you love? That's at the heart of evangelization. And so, more important than the training, more important than anything else is evangelization starts with the heart. So, I mentioned incarnational evangelization. It's this, you know, these two words are big and mouthy, lots of syllables. What do we mean when we say incarnational evangelization? Well, the incarnation literally means embodied in flesh. We all know that that's uh, that the incarnation, which we celebrated at Christmas just a couple months ago, the incarnation is when Jesus Christ came 
the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and took on our human flesh, became one of us, human in all things but sin. And then evangelization literally means, the translation is good news. So incarnational evangelization means embodying in our own flesh, in our very persons, the good news. So incarnational evangelization is getting involved in people's lives, getting on their level, entering into their lives and inviting them into ours, and then through the context of friendship, sharing with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's simply what it means to live incarnational evangelization, is to, through the context of friendship, share the good news. We want to evangelize the way Jesus evangelized. Jesus evangelized incarnationally. He didn't wait up in heaven waiting for us to come up and say, hey, when you guys got it all figured out, I'll be here waiting for you. No, he came down. He took on our human flesh. He entered into the messiness of the world. And then through the context of that, shared with us the good news and then ultimately died and rose again for our salvation. So this invitation to live evangelization the way Jesus did is what we mean when we talk about incarnational evangelization. So I want to talk to you about three points on how you can live incarnational evangelization, the vision for what it means to live uh, this accompaniment. How do we accompany people towards the gospel? But before I do that, I want to share with you one really important piece. This is the framework that I'd, I'd want to hit home. And that is that evangelization is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. The church teaches that the Holy Spirit is the principal agent of evangelization. You have zero capacity on your own to move anybody to conversion. It is God who moves the heart. It is God who gives the gift of faith. You don't have the capacity to do it. And that should hopefully give you great excitement, great hope, because it doesn't rely on you. Now, God does invite you and commands us all to participate in the work of evangelization, the Great Commission, where Jesus commissioned us to go make disciples of all nations. That's a commission that he gives to every baptized Christian. And so we need to play our part. We need to take steps and enter into the work. But we have to trust and rely on God being the agent of evangelization. So that can give us confidence because it's not dependent upon us. We need to make ourselves available but it is God who will move our hearts and move the hearts of those that we are, we are seeking to introduce to Jesus Christ. So with that, let's talk about these three points of evangelization. The first point, incarnational evangelization is how Jesus evangelized. It's how he evangelized. And in some ways, maybe we should even be shocked by this, be scandalized. Jesus Christ came to earth to live to suffer, to die, and rise again so that every man, woman, and child could receive salvation. He wants to bring the gospel, the good news of his salvation, to the entire world. And yet, what did he do when he came to earth? He hung out in this small, out-of-the-way place that we call the Holy Land, but just this you know, small place. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. These are small towns that we only know about because of Jesus. 
He never spent, he never uh, traveled much more, further than 100 miles or 200 miles away from his hometown, except for when he went to Egypt when he was a child. All of his public ministry spent in a small area. Why didn't he go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel? Because he knew that by investing his life in a few and sharing with them how to reach others, that they would bring the gospel to the world. He relies on us to bring it. But the way he did it is he invested in a few. Think about his public ministry. Three years of public ministry. And while he did preach to the masses, the majority of his time was spent with the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. As our founder, Curtis Martin, likes to joke, and it's just simply true, Jesus spent his public ministry camping with 12 men, investing his life in them, sharing himself with them and getting to know them. That's how Jesus evangelized. And so while he spends time with the masses, his primary time is spent with the the 12 disciples, and in a particular way with uh, Peter, James, and John. Think about Luke's call of St. Peter, found in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel. Don't look at Luke 5. There's this miraculous catch of fish. Jesus Jesus first preaches, and then he he tells Peter to put out into the deep. And Peter says, we've been toiling and fishing all night. We haven't caught anything, but master at your word will set out. And they go out into the deep, and they set down their their nets for a catch, and they catch a miraculous um, catch of fish. And then they go back to shore, and Peter says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, Do not fear from now on, you will not be catching fish, but men. And then Peter leaves behind everything to follow Jesus. We look at that and we're amazed, and we should be. But what we sometimes fail to realize is that just a few verses prior to this miraculous catch of fish, Jesus was in Peter's home because Peter's mother-in-law was suffering from a fever, and he healed her. Jesus knew Peter. He had a friendship with Peter. It wasn't as if he had this miracle and then Peter just decided to follow him. He, he was working and developing the relationship so that when that miracle happened, it could take root in this heart of friendship. So friendship is how Jesus evangelized. Yes, he does things like meets the Samaritan woman and, and preaches the gospel of the good news to her, and she immediately has a conversion and then goes and tells all the town people. But that's not the primary way in which he evangelizes. And in a similar way, we should be prepared. Perhaps we're on an airplane and it's about to land and the person who has been listening to music the whole time next to you and hasn't talked to you turns, takes out his his earpieces and says, hey, I noticed you were reading the Bible. Are you a Christian? We should be prepared to share the gospel with that person, the person that we don't know. But the primary way in which we share the gospel is through friendship. That's the way the gospel has been spread throughout the lifetime of the church. And and again, I said earlier, we should be scandalized in some sense to think that this is how Jesus evangelized. Because we wouldn't do it this way. We would say things like, especially today, oh man, use the internet, use television, use radio, use movies. And we should. We should utilize the modern forms of media to soften people's hearts and to proclaim the gospel. But again, the primary way in which the gospel is shared and has been shared for all of the church's history is through friendship, through those people in our circle of influence. I love John chapter 6, the beautiful um, sermon on the Eucharist where Jesus teaches us about the Eucharist. But what I really, really love is at the end of John chapter 6, when 
when all the people are deserting Jesus because of his teaching on the Eucharist, he turns to the disciples and he says, will you go away also? I just love Peter's response. It's so human. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We have come to trust and believe that you have the words of everlasting life. Peter doesn't get the teaching on the Eucharist. He's perhaps as perplexed as everybody else. But he has learned to trust Jesus. And that trust came about as a result of Jesus constantly showing Peter that he is trustworthy through the context of the friendship that they had. There's a great saying that we'd like to teach our missionaries. That people do not care what you know unless they know that you care. And incarnational evangelization is the way that we show people that we care. It's through the context of friendship that we share the gospel. So first point, incarnational evangelization is how Jesus evangelized. Second point, the gospel is a go-ye gospel. We are called to go out. And incarnational evangelization is about going out. I mentioned earlier the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, sit in your home and wait for people to come. He doesn't say, put up flyers and expect people to show up in the church basement. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The gospel is a go gospel. Again, Jesus didn't wait up in heaven for us to come. He took the initiative and came to meet us on our turf. He came to earth. And I, I get it. Um, you know, we, we live in Colorado, and uh, my kids love, one of the things they love to do when they visit Grandma and Grandpa, who live about an hour south of us, when there's been a big snowstorm, they have a hot tub, and it's outside. And so we like to go sit in the hot tub, and my kids will get out of the hot tub, and they'll go and they'll lay in the snow. And they'll try to lay there as long as they possibly can. It's a little contest to see who, who can lay there longer. And then they'll get out and they'll, they'll jump back in the hot tub. Now you can do that. You can lay in the snow with just a bathing suit on because there's a hot tub right nearby. I don't like to do that. I liked to do it when I was in my 20s, but I don't like to do it now. Why? Because I like the comfort of the hot tub. It's warm. It's comfortable. And we can be like this sometimes in sharing our faith. We like to be around our friends who are committed. We like to be around other faithful Christians. And that's awesome, and we should, we should partake of that joy. But that friendship, that communion, the fellowship that we have with other Christians should be the opportunity to, to encourage us and equip us so that we can then go out, that all of us can go out, so we can bring more people into the hot tub. Hot tub's a lot more fun with a few people in it rather than just by yourself. So the gospel is a go-ye gospel. Well, how do we do this? How do we live this go-ye gospel? There's lots of different ways, and the simpler the better. Uh, I have a friend who, um, when, when the leaves fall in the fall, he'll go to his neighbors when he sees them out raking their leaves and just offer to help them rake their leaves. He's building friendship, building trust. Uh, I have another friend who, um, he's, he's got young children, and he seems to always have a baby. His wife is either nursing or pregnant, and so he's always holding the baby at Mass, and he, he discovered one time, you know what? When I stand in the back of Mass um, after communion, I can see all the people who are leaving right after receiving communion. And so he decided, you know what? What I'm going to do after Mass, 
you know, after I receive communion, I'm going to receive as, as quickly as I can. And then I'm going to walk to the back of the church, maybe even go outside. And I'm going to be holding my baby. I have an excuse to be standing back there. And when people leave directly after receiving communion, I'm just going to start a conversation with them. And he's met dozens of people this way. And he says it's always super awkward. You know, he's there holding the baby and they're, they're on the beeline to the car trying to get out as quickly as possible. And he'll just kind of like say, hey, how's it going? And he'll introduce himself and they'll get in a conversation. And it doesn't always work out, but he's invited many, many people to his home for Sunday brunch that day. Hey, what are you doing this afternoon? Would you love to come to my wife and I's house? We just live nearby. We'd love to meet people here at the parish. Love to, love to get to know you. And through that has met many people and has started Bible studies with these people that he's met. This doesn't have to be complicated. It might be awkward sometimes. It might be difficult. But the gospel is worth the awkwardness. One of the things that, that I like to do, I have a hard time meeting new people. I'm just not an extrovert. I tend to be a little bit more introverted. And so one of the things that I will do is I'll, I'll partake of events that are already going on at the parish to meet people. There's, there's men's small groups, and I'll go and get involved in those men's small groups to get to know people, and then to develop individual friendships, and with those friendships now invite those people to take a, a next step. So we don't have to, to, to have really super creative ideas. These can be really simple, but the purpose is to really go, to go outside, to go rather than expect people to come. And the third point about how do we live incarnational evangelization is this, this whole process of accompaniment. Pope Francis talks a lot about a, accompaniment, that we need to accompany people. And really, incarnational evangelization is about living this, about walking with people. Walking with people. So, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. St. Paul, writing to the, the Christians in Thessalonica, says that we were so affectionately desirous of you that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives, because you had become so dear to us. This is a crazy statement by St. Paul. He he says, I'm ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives, as if there's anything more than the gospel of God. But he says, not only the gospel of God, but our very lives, because you had become so dear to us. St. Paul is giving us an important principle here that we, we share our lives with others. We're in solidarity with those who do not yet know Jesus or don't know him as well as maybe they could. So this a process of accompaniment. Again, Jesus made it a priority to get involved in other people's lives. He was accused of being friends with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. He didn't wait in the comfort of the synagogue or the temple He went out and he got to know people. He became friends with those. And then he walked with them towards the truth. And we're called to do the same thing. And so our ordinary approach is not simply to share the truth of the gospel, but to enflesh that in our very persons. We want to get to know people. We want to know what makes them tick. And I always love to ask people, who are the tax collectors in your parish? Who are the people who are kind of the outcasts in your neighborhood. To get to know them, to develop friendships with them so that you can earn the right to be heard and then share with them when it's appropriate, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, the gospel. I'll I'll end with a story here. A friend of mine uh, got to know a couple who was coming to the local parish. They weren't coming every Sunday, but they were coming occasionally. Uh, It turns out that the wife was Catholic and the 
and the, uh, the husband was not a Catholic, was not even baptized. And as he got to know this couple a little bit more, he'd see him every once in a while, introduce himself. They began to strike up a friendship, maybe, maybe grab a cup of coffee together occasionally. Turned out that they weren't actually married. The wife had been married and was divorced and was now just living with this man because she knew she couldn't get remarried in the church. And, and, and so it was kind of a complicated situation. So uh, divorced and, and living with a man who was not yet baptized. Well, it turns out that this man really loved home improvement projects. And my friend did not really like home improvement projects, but also didn't like to pay people to do the home improvement projects for him. And so he began to develop a friendship by just actually asking this guy for help. And the guy would come over and help him do simple projects at his house. Eventually, he needed to get his entire roof redone. Rip off all the shingles, replace even some of the plywood, and then put a new roof on top. Um, and he did get some people who were more experienced to come help him with it, but he also asked his friend to come over and help him with it. Uh, I was there, and I, I was there once on the roof, and the heavens opened up and a deluge <laughs> fell upon this home. It was pouring rain. They had literally opened holes in their house because they were replacing the plywood at that very moment. So we're, th- we're throwing tarps over, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to protect the house, and it's pouring rain. We go inside the garage, and we're just kind of waiting for the rain to let up. Eventually, the rain lets up. We go back up on the roof, we're pulling the tarps off, trying to get the plywood on real quickly. And my friend's uh, young, young son, who at the time was maybe five or six years old, said, Dad, look, a rainbow. And my friend said, yes, a rainbow. Son, what does that mean? And, he, and this five or six-year-old said, well, Dad, that was the promise that God gave to Noah, that he would never flood the world again. Well, while my friend is having this little exchange with his five or six-year-old son, the friend who is non-baptized was watching the whole event. And eventually he said, how does your son know all that? And what was he talking about? The door was now open for my friend to share his faith and share a little bit of the gospel with him. To make a a long story not quite as long, eventually this friend became baptized. He was baptized in the Jordan River on a Holy Land pilgrimage. The story is a little bit bittersweet uh, because uh, the wife, she ended up getting an annulment. Um, Once he was baptized, they, they got married in the church. They had their marriage blessed by the church. And then a few years after that, the husband was in a, in a sad accident and died. It's sad. And, and it, was, it was devastating to, to my friend and to the people who knew them. But can you imagine how joyful my friend's wife was? That her husband now died as a baptized faithful, committed Catholic, rather than as an unbaptized man living in a difficult situation. She was so joyful that even though she missed her husband and was sad about his death, she knew that he was baptized and living with God. All simply because my friend invited a friend over to help him with home improvement projects. He had earned the right to be heard, and through the context of that friendship, the door opened for the gospel. And I'll close with one scripture passage for you. John 17, 3. As I said at the beginning, the Holy Spirit is a principal agent of evangelization. That should be the context for all these points that I shared with you today. And here's the other bookend. In John 17, it's at the Last Supper. This is considered part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's about to go suffer and die for the sake of the world. And he's praying to his Father in heaven. He says, Father, 
This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus defines eternal life as relationship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life, what we will spend all of eternity doing, is being in intimate relationship with God. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this knowledge is not a kind of an American intellectual knowledge. When we think of the word know, we think of two plus two equals four. This was a biblical knowledge. Jesus was speaking of the, of the word know that we see in Genesis when it says that Adam knew Eve and together they conceived a son. This is deep, intimate, covenantal, lifelong, life-giving love. Life-giving relationship. That's the kind of intimacy that we are called to with Christ. He calls us into this intimacy, both here on earth and eventually for all of eternity. So Jesus lived incarnational evangelization because that's who he is. The Catechism tells us that God is an eternal exchange of love. An eternal exchange of love. God is loving relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all of eternity, loving one another. And we're called into that relationship. And so in the same way that the Holy Spirit is a principal agent of evangelization, it's the Holy Spirit who will move hearts to conversion, we cannot give what we do not have. All of us who are commissioned by God to share the gospel need to start with our own relationship, with our own relationship with Jesus Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It is through the intimacy that we share with Christ that the Holy Spirit will be able to evangelize through us. I have a friend who knows a lot of the Focus staff members, and she'll say, John, the people that work at Focus, they're the most amazing people I have ever met. This person is a fallen away Catholic. She doesn't believe what the church teaches. She's not sure what she thinks about Jesus. But she can see that there's something special and unique. And I had the opportunity to share with her, the reason that you think the people in Focus are so awesome has nothing to do with them. It has to do with Jesus living in them. When you see them, you see a little bit of Jesus. This is the invitation that all of us have to fall more deeply in love with Jesus and then to share him with the world. And so I pray for you that you would have the courage and confidence to share Christ and that you would start from a place of deep intimacy with him, a daily prayer life, the sacramental life of the church, fellowship with other believers, and getting to know the teachings of the church more deeply. That's my prayer for you, and please pray for us, the students we work with, and all of our alumni. May God bless you. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.